everyone. Welcome to My Two Cents with Tawanda Harris. This is a podcast dedicated to educators, for educators, and by educators. Yes, it's all about encouraging. It's all about sharing strategies. It's all about going on an educational journey with each other. You are not alone. And I hope that when you finish listening to this podcast, you feel like you went on a journey with educators around the world. Thank you for tuning in to My Two Cents. I'm sure we've all heard some variation of when you stop learning, it's time to stop teaching. In this episode, I have the opportunity to sit down with Penny Kittle, author and educator. And we have a conversation around our learning journey. As educators, we understand that our students come to us each and every year with different, unique, bubbly, and sometimes challenging personalities. But our goal is to reach them. Our goal should be to connect their learning directly back to them so that they understand how they can be their best selves with the learning experiences that we are giving them. So how do we do that? Listen in as we talk about different tips, different things that we've tried throughout our career to be our best selves for our students each and every day. Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of My Two Cents. Today we have the awesome opportunity to sit down with Penny Jumbo. Yes, 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 yes. So you have done so many awesome, awesome things um, in education, but I want you to share with listeners what your teacher journey was. Oh, so I think I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I was one of those with the notebook in my bureau in the sock drawer, and I would make up lessons and teach stuffed animals or my little friends. And um, when I went to college, I majored in elementary ed because I just loved little people and started work as an elementary teacher in Southern California. And then across all these states, I would follow my husband's job and whatever position was open, that's what I would take. And I ended up doing a master's in British literature and curriculum, which led me to high school teaching, which I would never, ever have imagined. Um, And that was only because I now had the K-12 credential and they wanted me to be a literacy coach. And I said, you know, I won't do it unless I can keep one class. Because I've always felt that the disconnect between leaders and teachers is that leaders are not carrying all those kids with them all the time. And, you know, this year more than ever, what teachers are experiencing, the emotional weight of teaching is real. I just finished the semester. I'm still grading work, but I can't believe the difference in how I feel that I'm now not responsible. I'm still worried about a lot of my students, but they're not, like, I'm not gearing myself up to see them. every day in the classroom. And I said to, you know, my administrators every year would come back and say, you need to give up that class you're teaching at the high school and just be a coach. Because we had five elementaries in the middle of high school and I was the only literacy coach. And I said, well, you need to find someone else then because I can't give up the teaching if I want to stay authentic, which for me was, was about teachers being able to come see me, make mistakes and problem solve, you know, in the moment. So 
I've had a lot of different roles, but five years ago, well, it's four years I've taught at the university since I left my high school and I'm teaching first year writers, which I love. And I would, you know, for young teachers, the job can change in so many ways. You don't have to stay in third grade or eighth grade and that that can sometimes just re-energize you. Yeah, I think about the point that you made of how you just always knew that you wanted to be a teacher um, and mm-hmm. you would teach stuffed animals. I, I tell people this story all the time. When I knew I wanted to be a teacher, my basement was set up like a classroom. And so I would torture my cousins. They would come over and I'm like, no, I am the teacher with the red pen, you know, because you, <laughs> you have to listen to whatever lesson I am going to have. But it was just mm-hmm. this feeling of, I just know that's what I want to do. And so I majored in early childhood education going in there. But it's interesting that your first uh, position was in high school. Like, no, that was later. Oh, First okay, was later. third grade. Oh, okay, I'm going to yeah. show the high school. Yeah. That's just interesting because, you know, before I started venturing into the high school world, I was sitting there like, no, I look like a high schooler. They're not going to respect me. And it was just the scary world. And then you go in there and you realize they're just young adults, really big kids, you know, and they want mm-hmm. um, engagement. They want um, to be loved. They want experiences, even though may, they may act cool but they still want that. And so that, that that's so much. Yeah. Yeah. And just trying to stay connected back to the classroom. Like that's hard. And you know, you're right. My heart Mm -hmm. goes out to those educators that are kind of struggling right now with the balance of all of the changes that are happening right now in education and still staying true to centering their students. Oh, and the pressure from everywhere to do something different, you know, the, the, the constant narrative of they're behind, catch them up. The, you know, my daughter's teaching fifth grade in Boston, and um, we talk a lot about how do you, this is her third year, so she's never had a year without COVID as a new teacher. Wow. <laughs> and how do you process all of the messages that come to you from colleagues and leaders and stay true to your vision of what you believe is possible because it is hard to negotiate. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that definitely, that's interesting that that was, that has been her experience. I know. Think about, you know, the teachers that had uh, their first and second year and and even third year, this is what they know as um, their experience to make adjustments real time. Um, so I, I, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the next couple of years holds and what we hold on to that that is good for students and what we kind of absolutely decide. Um, so that that's always interesting. So mm-hmm. we know that our teaching practices are influenced by our beliefs and our values, right? And so mm-hmm. how have you seen that show up in your teaching practices or your interactions with uh, teachers? Yeah, you know, we, um, the, the kind of the community of people that I really talk a lot to about teaching, often we talk about beliefs. I think it is impossible to not think about that in your work because it shows up everywhere. And one of my beliefs from the beginning was that the kids in my room were more important than any curriculum or assessment or pressure or rule or whatever it was, that these were human beings that I was um, responsible to be 
understanding and supportive and at times challenging. And, you know, it was always the kids for me. And I think about how often we look at teaching and we go, there's curriculum assessment instruction, like circling. But I don't believe that at all. One of my friends led me to think deeply about the fact that the closest thing to kids is instruction. And instruction is more important than curriculum and assessment. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I grow very weary of initiatives that are all focused on curriculum because, you know, my, my high school here in town, we spent three years writing these units that everyone could put online and use, you know, and to me, it was three years of not talking about what was happening in classrooms. Mm-hmm. How often are we sitting beside kids and listening to them and asking them to reflect on what they know and teaching into their intentions, their purposes, their understandings. And I am one third of the way through all of my students recorded notebook tours from this semester. And just the opportunity, they, they record five to 10 minutes reflecting on what they've learned as writers and where they learned it and what they're proud of. And, and that should be an essential piece of every teacher's experience because we, the more we listen, the better we teach. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always returning to that, that it's them, not me. And so I look for people who center kids. Yeah, that, that's such a great point. I just think about just the need to center students so that they are um, they feel a part of the learning. And so right. oftentimes we look at measures that are outside of what what um, outside of students. Right. And so we think about quantitative the numbers and what mm-hmm. their performances are on standardized assessments. And okay, you're in this percentile and you're in that percentile. And so you're successful because of that. And you're thinking you could have just been a great test taker. That does not mean right. that you are um, involved or engaged in this learning experience. And so I think about ways that I can center my students. I teach a class at Clark Atlanta University which is one of our historically black colleges and universities Mm. out here in Atlanta. And it's always interesting just to hear some of the things that they wish they, they would have had when they were Mm -hmm. in school. Um, I feel old sometimes because my, my experiences when I was in school, they're like not far removed from high school. And I'm thinking, Oh Mm -hmm. gosh, you know, I I have years, years ago, but you know, (laughs) those experiences, that they have, they're saying, mm-hmm. I think I did one thing, um, the name stories. Um, Sarah Ahmed talks about, you know, name stories. Yeah. I did that with my students and they said, you know what? No one ever asked me the story behind my name. Thank you. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and, and you're thinking, oh, this is just something we do. And they were so appreciative of just mm-hmm. someone pausing and saying, what is the story behind your name? And it hooked them in, you know, they were excited to finish the semester um, with me because they were centered in the the experience. Oh, there's this amazing spoken word poem, Idris Goodwin's Say My Name. Yes. And that's what I used in my class to get them to tell their name story. And, and so many of them wrote about, I just gave up trying to get a teacher to pronounce my name correctly. And like he does in that spoken word, he says, um, So then I became E because they couldn't, you know, like you, this minimal, it's as if we don't understand the impact of our own names. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when you said the two cents podcast, I was like, wait, I'm Penny. I'm, I'm the right person for because I was always made fun of Penny nickel dime quarter. Why would they name me that? And how much our name stories work into who we are and what we have to say. Like we're always talking about students don't want to write, but we often give them really dull things to write about. We don't ask them to tell their stories enough. Yeah. And, and think of how powerful it is, it is when they do tell their stories. So when we're thinking about building a community of love, empathy, compassion, understanding yeah. in our classroom, the best way to do it is to talk to each other. And my feelings and my emotions can be expressed through my writing. But if you give me a prompt and you say, this is the box that you have to stay in, how can I oh. really, really express who I am and bring my whole self into my writing experience and my writing life? So now we, I want you to think about just, uh, just reading overall. And of course, mm-hmm. as educators, we're constantly reading. As you can see, there are so many books. This is like a corner of my room. And I have yeah. an I see right behind you. I know that is not on <laughs> collection but it is a wonderful display that you have (laughs) but um tell me a little bit about the books that you are currently reading um it's interesting this morning i finished a bestiary uh lily huang she's a professor and this is the most unusual it's like a fragmented memoir experience life vision. It's, it, it's so many things. I have to read it again to truly understand it. But I start almost every day with poetry and then do some writing. And so for years, I got up sometimes 4.30 and wrote before I went to the high school just to kind of center myself in language and beauty and experience. But I'm also one of those people who reads a lot of different books at the same time. And so I always, for my students, keep them in my writer's notebook. What am I currently reading? And right now there are eight things I've started that I haven't finished, but it's kind of just the way I work. And I've, I've learned to just live with it. At times I, you know, zip through and finish a book, but other times it takes me a very long time to read. So I don't know if you've seen Moth Me or Me Moth. I don't know which way I say it. Amber McBride it just won the Morris Award. It's up for the Morris Award. Um, it's a young adult uh, journey story. I just have to show you a picture of the cover in case your listeners are at all interested in uh, this book. It is, I read so many, I just noticed, this is what I'm reading, one of them, and I see it back behind you, Black Boy Joy. Oh, yes. I love that book. But um, I think that, you know, covers sometimes to me oh my are just I, unbelievable. Post, yes. Yeah, this is a, a book, again, I have to read it again to truly understand it, but I, it's a novel in verse, and those are the books that just my students are drawn to. Um, and so there's poetry, there's young adult that I can recommend to kids. That's always in my mix, and there's always professional books. And those are the ones that make me rethink, that make me continually refine my practice. And it has to be there because I always have so many questions. You know, one of my beliefs about teaching is that it is always open to revision and that we have to approach learning as not certain, but 
filled with doubt because we're not sure. I'm not sure if this is the right choice today in class. Mm-hmm. And all of that is, is just so important. Um, two others that have been really important, anything by Clint Smith. So this semester, my students read Counting Descent with me over the semester. And then um, How the Word is Passed, I used as a book club book because it's just phenomenal. And he's phenomenal. And I um, have learned so much from him. But the other one is uh, I've been giving away to everyone because Brendan Kiley's The Other Talk, right? Wow. Reckoning with our white privilege, which digs into all of the ways that white people have to do work. And that has been kind of a theme throughout the last several years. Love this. Yes. Don't you have that up there somewhere? Oh, oh I love yes, Renee Watson. I have it right anyway. there. And so my daughter is in the, <laughs> um, Ariel did the teaching guide. And so she had the honor of kind of having a conversation um, with her around the book and such, such a powerful, powerful book. Um, And then the teaching guide is, oh, I've never seen such a beautiful teaching guide. So um, it's definitely going to go find it. Oh my goodness. It It is amazing. I love Ariel though. That's great. Yes. It is absolutely amazing. But um, I, the, so that book, of course I, I love, but there's one book that I just got. It's the, the me I choose to be. Have you seen that? Oh my goodness. Look at this. Oh, it is. Oh my by, goodness. That is oh so goodness. beautiful. That's I'm writing it's it down. By Natasha Anastasia Tarpley. But the illustrations, it goes through. Look at this. Oh my goodness. It is absolutely beautiful. So it goes that through. That is beautiful. It talks about different things. I am the winding road to a fantastic invent- adventure. I am a home where love lives at the center. I am the wind. With the strength to bend trees, I am the light traveling the universe with ease. Oh, my goodness. Isn't it amazing? And, you know, I think about going back to the question around beliefs, um, how important it is that students see themselves in the learning. You know, so if I am going to read books or talk about experiences or give examples that they're not just from one perspective. You're not going to mm. hook me everything you talk about or everything you show is something that I just can't relate to, you know, as a student. Right. I want to see that I am weaved throughout the day, not just during a read aloud or at the end of the day when we have drop everything and read or just on the bookshelves where, you yeah. know, it stays there. Is it a part of my daily interaction with the with the learning? Um, so mm-hmm. it makes me think that about- goes right back to knowing your students, right? You want to know what their experiences are. You want to listen to them. You want to provide books that they're looking for. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, how about uh, books that are on your future reading list? Uh, can you just come over here and look at the stats <laughs> in my office? Okay, so um, <laughs> I know I've got two that are uh, my professional next reads. Oh, you and know, Penny, we are together. Like that is <laughs> look at this. This is just I have to stop buying books. Texture teaching by Lorena Herman. Yes. 
Of course, we just did a podcast together on how similar our books are, um, you know, how they definitely complement each other. But of course, standalone, they are powerful. Um, So we see we saw a lot of commonalities in just um, think about as educators. So that is definitely on my things to to read list whenever I have time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know. And your book, I mentioned to you, uh, was brought up last night by Claire Landrigan when we were talking to Book Love Grant winners. And she said how much it means to her. And we had a whole bunch of them saying, oh, I got to get that book. And we were saying, you're so active in media and giving to teachers and your TikTok account that they really need to follow you. And I immediately was like, where's Tawanda's book? I know (laughs) it's in this place somewhere and I got to get it and move it up on the stack. So I think there's that I realized um, far too late, but I realized that my professional canon was so white and that I really needed a deeper, broader look at what so many brilliant, brilliant Black scholars have been doing. And so um, I loved the fantastic one that's behind me, the dark fantastic I loved Goldie Muhammad's um, Cultivating Genius. We learned so much in that summer book club dedicated to thinking about that. And we're in the midst of choosing what are we going to read this summer um, with people for the foundation. And I just, I'm constantly questioning what we can do as individuals and as a collective body of educators to bring more joy and um, kind of a reckoning of where we've been in education to the work, because I'm in a state, one of the 11 states where the governor signed one of those. If you talk about divisive issues, um, you know, you're, you could lose your credential. The uh, group I'm not going to name, an extreme fringe group, offered a $500 bounty for anyone who turns in a New Hampshire teacher who's wow. doing this. And I wrote an editorial with my students last week. Um, there's a bounty on New Hampshire teachers. Can I turn myself in? Because we can't back down. Mm-hmm. We can't. And if we don't have the courage to be leaders now, when will we have it? Yeah. And, you know, I'm reading as much as I can. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, I think for me, it's not about me. It's literally about how it's going to directly affect students, the students that are sitting before me or the students that will walk Mm -hmm. through classrooms after me. And uh, us as adults, when we choose not to talk about certain things, it kind of closes the door for conversations Mm -hmm. to be had in a safe and trusting environment. So true. That is healthy. You know, sometimes we automatically think about topics and say, oh, there's going to be tension. No, there's a healthy way to have a discussion. Even if we agree to disagree, it's good for me Mm -hmm. to hear other perspectives. And so if we don't teach our students how to do that, it becomes really hard when they become adults and they're trying to reconcile, like, truly, what do I believe? And how does it affect everyday decisions. And so my next question is around just why it's important for teachers to have a reading life. I know when I was teaching, I had a a pre-made preset curriculum. I was given the manual Mm. and I had to teach cover to cover, lesson by lesson. It was scripted. And no one said, 
here's the curriculum and here is a book to, to really connect your beliefs and make those changes mm-hmm. um, when you are connecting with students. But they said, here is your curriculum. You need to teach that. Why do you think it's important for teachers to have a reading life outside of a curriculum? Um, my first answer would be Jim Trealy's and the Read Aloud Handbook said you can't catch a cold or a love of reading from someone who has neither. Yeah. That's- if we don't create this contagious passion for learning, and for me, the idea that reading will take us places we've never been, it will show us who we are, it will reveal so much about the world to us. And the idea that when we write our stories, we're naming for others ways they can find their way to their own stories and their own beliefs and ideas. And so to me, there is absolutely no separation to our engagement with this work and student engagement with the work. And I can't tell you how many of the student videos I've been watching have said, you just love it so much. And I like that being with someone who's so passionate about reading and writing. And I, I, it's not pretend kids are such good you know, observers of the human behavior, you can't fake it. But when you read something and you're just like, you guys, oh, I got up early because I had to finish. That's like, they feel it. And they also know that um, there's this, so we had book clubs this fall and I chose all of these books that would make my mostly white students um, experience things they haven't experienced. And one of my students said to me, you know, he's reading Dear Martin. He said, you know, I now understand a little bit about what Black Lives Matter is. He's from northern New Hampshire. He said, but what I don't understand is why I couldn't read these things in high school, because I wanted to know. I just wanted to understand. Mm -hmm. Right. And that piece where we know that books change the way you move in the world. They do. They work on us. And there are so many incredible books out there that will lead kids to that. But if we don't know them, how will our kids possibly know them? I agree. To me, they're inseparable. I agree. And, you know, I, one of the things that I'm so encouraged when um, you all do the summer book love, the summer yeah. book clubs, uh, they're so amazing. And just the, the experience of being able to hear the, the authors or whoever's invited and just hear the conversations and the interviews, it's just mm-hmm. so powerful along with the book list and, you know, just, mm-hmm. just being a part of that, having the honor of being a part of that last year. Um, it, yeah. really, it was so exciting to just be in the room with others that just enjoyed reading, like truly truly enjoyed reading and learning and thinking and rethinking and reshaping what you thought was the norm, which was actually not the norm and wasn't inclusive. So I appreciate, um, you know, Mm -hmm. you all doing that and also challenging. I know for me, it challenges me to not only think about professional development books, but to think about literature, you know, children's literature, young adult literature, like what books am I reading on both ends? Right. And, you know, it's easy because we're grandmothers to get (laughs) flooded with children's literature, right? I'm out there buying it all the time. Can't wait to read this one. But the young adults, I have so many people who are like, well, I don't really read that. Or you can't know what it is and what it does if you don't read it. And, you know, I, 
I am so proud of all the grant recipients who are, some have moved into leadership roles because we've been giving out grants since 2012, but some are remaining in the classroom and really trying to make change in the whole school. Mm -hmm. Centering students, centering their lives as readers, not particular texts. And just the idea that in that summer book club last year, there were 1,350 teachers from 15 countries on that book club. And because of the book club, which one of my board members um, first brought to the group as we should do this, we feel like our work has shifted a bit from only granting libraries to really professional development. Because there are a lot of people listening to the podcast because Julia Torres is amazing and, you know, does Absolutely. great interviews, right? <laughs> and that idea that if we are going to continue as the foundation to grow, we want to focus on helping teachers grow as well as giving them the resources they need. And, you know, we hit a huge milestone when I finally added up the most recent donations and we went right over the top of a million dollars we've raised. Oh, and that is goodness. just like, is I would never have believed it, right? Oh, and my it's goodness. so exciting with these hundreds of book club grant winners out there changing reading in their individual schools. Yes. So, all right, everyone, you heard this first on the My Two Cents podcast in the future, <laughs> <laughs> development, professional learning. That That yeah. is so powerful because honestly, the experience over the summer um, that teachers were able to engage in, it was so just um, motivating and you want more. And so I'm, I'm yeah. excited to see that there is an extension um, for that because it's needed. You know, oftentimes we are yeah. on things, um, on ways of how to use something that has already been created. Okay, well, mm-hmm. what about us just thinking of ways to use something with our students that are before us this year, because next yeah. year it might change. And the following year, Absolutely. students are, are so different. So that is going to be very exciting. Okay. Mm. So we are coming to a close and I want to end with our famous rapid fire question. So are you ready? I'm ready. I hope. <laughs> okay. So first question. I'll start off easy. What's your favorite season of the year? Oh, oh, absolutely fall. There's this moment when it's cold at night and it gets, it's still warm in the day, but it's cold at night. You can feel the bite coming. Love that season. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I am a, uh, a fall kind of girl. All right. So what's the most requested book from your grandchildren? Ooh, oh, it changes over time. But um, let me think for a second, because they're both two very different kids. And uh, Creepy Carrots, Maisie got all involved in Creepy Carrots. And then there's a Creepy Underwear or something. There's a part two. And she was really into that for a while. Um, Oh, my gosh. There's one we just got from the library. And I can't remember the name of it that she wanted to read over and over last time I was there. I would say that one thing Maisie does, and she's four in January, is... um, request me to make up stories for her, which I think is really interesting. And in fact, one night she asked me to make up a song about butterflies. And I told my son, so I'm sitting there laying there going, oh, butterflies are flying. (laughs) Just like making up nonsense. The next time I came down, she could sing that song to me. I was like, what? I would have loved to listen to that. Oh, it's hilarious. (laughs) But um, 
Lila is everything that has like a pole, like a shark book that opens up and, and surprises her, those kind. And I have to say, I don't know if you know Spike Lee's Baby, Please, Baby, Baby, that book, Please, Baby, Please, that. We, both of them have, Maisie memorized that early on and we would walk down the street and do please, puppy, please, can I pet you, you know, and just imitate it all the time. It's just a terrific um, children's book. That That's so awesome. I, I know they get excited. Now, do you change voices while you're reading? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I'm <laughs> ridiculous. I have too much yeah. fun. <laughs> well, I, I, I agree. And it's funny. I, I read to my college students and we start off every class with a read aloud. And yeah. as I'm reading, I am the college professor that's like, really geeky, really excited, jumping all over the place. And I'm just going back and forth. I'm like, okay, they're just looking at me crazy, but I'm sure your grandchildren would really enjoy my, um, my energy, but my college students, they have to be cool. So they just kind of look. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> but I know they like it. <laughs> okay. Last yeah. question. What's your favorite childhood memory? Oh, you know what? They're was a library down the hill from our house, probably a mile. And we would walk there. My mom and I would walk there and she would go over to the adult section and I could be in the children's or as I got older into this young adult, as much as there was then section. And I could check out eight books and I always checked out eight books and um, pile them into a bag. And then we would walk to this bakery where they had pie and have pie and walk home. And for me, that Montevilla Public Library in Portland, Oregon was a home. I can remember coming home from college and going there to study oh. because it was a place that was so familiar to me. And I think that I know that public libraries are a refuge for so many young yes. people and to keep them vibrant and alive. Um, and at the same time, I live in a town where my kids live at the end of the dirt roads, and some of them are never going to get to that library. And mm -hmm. to have um, little free libraries, you know, Lisa Stringfellow and her amazing uh -huh. one with the tiles that are actual books. Uh -huh. so I have this, I have this belief that that's going to be what I do when I leave teaching is I'm going to make little free libraries. I'm going to make them really creative and interesting, and I'm going to have them all over. Yeah, I, I get Free excited. Availability. I see them. I get excited. My daughter, we were driving down the the road a couple of days ago and she looks over and she sees the public library. We we rarely ever go because she'll go to the one at school or I'll purchase yeah. the book. And she said, I want to go to the library over the break. And I'm like, yes, we will go to the library over the break. <laughs> like I got excited because she really yeah. wanted to do that. And you, you just think about sometimes, like you said, there are just some students that just won't make it to the library, whether it be because right. of lack of access or just it's not a priority anymore, or they could get on their yeah. phones and look at it up an ebook and all of that. But there's something about that experience of just being in the library and being on those yeah. little, the seats, some are hard. And then you go in the children's section, <laughs> there's like some, you know, yep. some uh, bean bags there that you can sit on. But yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. So I'm excited about that. 
All right. Well, thank yeah. you so much for just being in conversation with me and just talking about the importance of us having a reading life, how educators mm-hmm. just really need um, to foster that reading life because it shapes the experiences that we provide for our students. So what advice would you give to any educator that wants to start this work? They just don't know where to begin and they want to kind of take a step one. Yeah, I mean, the number one thing you have to do is provide time in class for kids to read. And so when I didn't have my own library, I went down to my high school library and said, could you fill up a cart with books that I can share with kids that you know they might like? Because librarians are our, you know, great talisman. I mean, they can always be counted on for whatever we're looking for. And so I would bring them down to my room and then I would just, you know, this one's about this, you know, grab a book, let's spend time reading because you have to see their engagement to begin to believe. And that's what you'll see. Sure. There will be kids who are struggling to connect, but what I heard last night from book love winners was that this year in particular, they have almost none who are not engaged with reading when they pull the books out. And they believe it's because many, like my college students, had a year and a half at home with no books to read, only what was on their phone. And most of them don't have Kindle accounts. So the truth is, time is right. And start it and see what happens. When we started book clubs in other content areas, my content friends were like, I did not believe biology kids would read. They were totally in. We had all books that had DNA, a part of them, you know, and students are hungry to know. That's the thing. So just jump in. Yeah. Give it a chance. That's great, great advice. So where can um, folks find you? Um, Tell us about Book Love and, you know, any upcoming events that you may have or where can folks follow you? So I'm Penny Kittle on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, we have a podcast, the Book Love Foundation podcast on Apple, on iTunes, that has many seasons. I think this is our fifth season right now, and Julia has been running that for a while, so that has um, got a whole new shape thanks to a new producer. Um, And then the Book Love Foundation, which is booklovefoundation.org, has so much information on it. And my website, pennykittle.net, also does. It's going to go through a big reconstruction in a, in a month or so. But I try to post mentor texts and, you know, videos of things that will help people. Um, I am for sure learning how to manage my time around what the foundation's work is going to be in the world. And so I'm booking fewer events where I'm presenting and doing more work to figure out what does um, the foundation can offer to the whole community because we try to do things for free. So awesome. booklovefoundation.org is my baby. I love it. It's, it's got good work to do in the world. Yes, yes. And I'll make sure in the show notes, all of the um, the resources and the websites that you did mention, I'll put those in the show notes as well. So thank you again for just spending time just talking with me on the My Two Cents podcast. Um, I'm so excited for what Book Love is going to be doing in the future, what you all are doing now. And to my listeners, happy teaching. 